it reminded me a little bit of Alexis Sanchez when he was at Arsenal, throwing his arms around the place, and, and you're kind of going, well, what's he actually doing? But don't drink in the Oasis, that's obviously the main thing, yeah. That's good advice for Carrick Cross and Qatar, I'd say. Canada goosed. Belgium's golden generation lose their sheen, and despite just one point from their opening two games, it's still not safe to write off the Germans. Today, the Neymarless Brazilians are back in action, while Luis Suarez and Pepe go head-to-head in what could be a combustible clash between Uruguay and Portugal. We're joined by Daniel McDonnell, who saw Canada join Qatar in being eliminated from the tournament. But Dan, unlike the hosts, Canada gave it a good go. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, like Canada in this tournament have been bit of a revelation and it's very strange to say that about a team that's um that's gone out first sorry gone out second but like the first team that officially knows they're going home you know and that's obviously yeah. uh it's obviously you know a bit of a, a sort of a <laughs> a bit of a sickener yet they've sort of uh they've actually brought a little bit of color brought a little bit of life i've been at both of their games they've both been quite enjoyable and um, they've had little stories around them um and I don't know, like, I, I mean, I suppose some people would say it's just all about the result, isn't it? And and those who, you know, ascribe to that theory, which is you know, a pretty accurate one, um, you know, might, might, might sort of not have enjoyed Canada as much, but uh, I did. You know, the World Cup is about stories, and I think Canada have churned out more stories than, than most in, in their own way. Just uh, Just maybe too many, almost from their perspective, because they really managed to annoy the nation of Croatia. Not a nation you really want to enjoy, to really, really annoy, I found. No, a, p- a peculiar... Uh, they, they they roiled them up pre-match, and then they woke them up with the start that they had in the game. I mean, both of us both of us fancied Canada to get something from the game, and it looked that way, even for the first 15, 20 minutes. They got a great goal to go ahead, but, you know, whether that... Uh, I don't know if I don't know if international football teams pin newspapers on dressing room walls or screenshots on dressing room walls or whatever it is these days, but certainly the Croatian media um, didn't take too kindly to what the what the Canada manager said. Uh, or the players. No, I mean Cramrich scored twice and came in afterwards and thanked John Herdman for uh, for motivating really? them by saying you're you're going to. F, you know they're going to f Croatia up. I mean, sometimes you think this is the media bubble, and some people will come in and go, "No, nah, we don't pay attention to what was said." This is the point. Croatia, like proud football nation, um, they were listening and they were motivated. And Zlatko Dalic, the coach in the pre-match, said they were annoyed by it. They found it disrespectful. He came in afterwards talking about Herdman, John Herdman not being there for the handshake, um, and says there's things he needs to learn. Um, so no, they were properly riled by it. Um, like we, we mentioned it yesterday. I mean, there was a, a Photoshop sort of nude image of Herdman in the Croatian tabloid, uh, one of the Croatian tabloids on Saturday. That self same one after the match um, produced a, a front page, which is basically translated as nobody will F us uh, with a picture of celebrating okay. uh, Croatian players. But there's no doubt that the Croatian squad were well on board with this. They were happy to, to take it. And of course, Herdman has been asked any regrets. And he was like, oh, didn't regret it after 20 minutes, but then sort of said maybe he could have been a little bit more composed when he came out of his huddle. But, I mean, that's the sort of the very uh, the headline-friendly story. Also, as well, uh, Canada. I mean, they went and they played 4-4-2 uh, against a team with a midfield of, what, Brozovic, Modric and uh, Kovacic, 
with, uh, with Perisic also cutting inside. And I did mention it in my piece today, well, it's a decade since Whedon and Andrews were outnumbered um, by Croatia at the Euros and Canada yeah. with like 39-year-old Atiba Hutchinson, um, the oldest LFA player in the competition, and Eustachio, one of their best players, uh, but who was injured, had to go off at half time. They ran rings around them. The, the approach was like completely... Uh, it was cavalier, to say the least. Um, they tried to change it in the second half, but the, the damage was done and they sort of got ran all over, really. Yeah, they... It it did look like Croatia finally found something. I mean, they, they were they were poor in their opening game against Morocco, and that result though subsequently looks a little bit better given what yeah, happened. Yeah, this with is Morocco a crucial point this actually. Is, yeah, it's it. it you, so, I think probably I certainly read too much into how ordinary Croatia were, and probably didn't read enough into just how poor Belgium were ahead of the game with Morocco yesterday. Yeah, but also, I mean, I mean that Morocco Croatia game, right? It wasn't. A thriller by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, and this is the thing about these tournaments, right? You can come in and you can do all your research and you can sort of learn off facts, like like the leaving cert or something, and you know come out with sort of general lines. But like I was sort of looking at the uh, the Morocco squad during that game against Croatia, I was like, hang on, they got fullbacks playing for PSG and Bayern. Okay, they got Ziyech, who everyone knows about, but you look sort of look where the players were. You know, dotted around the top clubs. I think I mentioned it yesterday. Maybe not that much depth beyond their starting eleven, but like mm-hmm. they're sort of starting eleven playing at really good teams. So it's one of those things where like that Morocco Croatia game. Okay, maybe it wasn't a thriller, but I don't think it was that bad. Like I don't think the technical level of it was maybe that bad. And um, mm-hmm. in, in a group that we've said is a very competitive one, um, you know, it might just be that sort of. Uh, that that was just the, the they were the standout too, um, and I mean the, I suppose we may as well talk about it now. I mean like Belgium, they've they've pretty much just produced two terrible performances back to back, and left themselves in a situation where they need now to they need to to beat Croatia, who Croatia. look like they're in you know they're in good heart. Like they have to beat Croatia because Morocco are the ones that are laughing, and they're effectively yeah. true really. So um, it's just a matter of whether they're going to play. Spain or Germany and you know what way that's going to pan out for them like if Morocco go and win the group they're probably going to play Germany in the round of 16 you would think um or Japan either way like they're in a they're in potentially in a good place um and Belgium most certainly are not they could be the it's funny we're talking about Germany and Argentina um but the big gun to fall in the groups could well be Belgium yeah I mean they some of the the pre-match stuff coming out of Belgium was extraordinary. Um, you know, there was De Bruyne and Hazard both basically saying that we should have won it four years ago. De Bruyne was again, th- there was some phrase, sometimes these things can get lost in translation, obviously, but he, he was speaking, he said he speaks four languages, so it's difficult for, it, mm. he wouldn't really have that excuse, but there was some kind of line he had, which was along the lines of, I have to temper my expectations, or I have to realise that I can't make these players better, or something along those lines, something mm. very, you know, He's a player that, even in the games today, the game today, he was. It reminded me a little bit of Alexis Sanchez when he was at Arsenal at that stage, where he's throwing his arms around the place and everyone's looking, saying, "Well, you know, oh, his teammates aren't backing him up." And you're kind of going, "Well, what's he actually doing?" You know, I know he got a man of the match, which is a bit of a joke in the first game. He didn't do very much yesterday either. So, you know, it's all very well for players to throw their arms up in the air and say you know you're not at my standards but if you're not at your own standards like that's none of the Belgian players have come near 
what they're capable of and so far. And Martinez, you know, I, I know there was a, a phrase used by somebody once, I think it might have been you told me that a, a, a former managerial colleague of his said that he'd love him to speak at his funeral because he could convince people that he wasn't dead. And yeah. there was like, it, it's very, very difficult to see them turning anything around. You know, the last kind of last thing of dying wasp, but it, it's it's very difficult to see with, with both the mood music coming out of the camp and the performances. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that I, I haven't been at too many say pre-match press conferences over here, but because they're they're all on in this big media center, this big old airport, like they're just you just get an announcement going. Uh, the such and such press conference is now starting in ten minutes, and there's eight of them a day here. But I just happened to be there. So I may as well go out and watch the Belgium one. And I mean, the, the mood was very downbeat, you know. And even like Martin, as I said, yeah, he's the eternal optimist uh, and very like. Um, you know, very it could be very charming, but he he could sort of sense there was just a little bit of um, strain there. I know what you're saying about De Bruyne. It's funny the the Canada game was a couple of times. It was like he was just his passes were a yard off, you know, or half a yard off. And Party is thinking, well, Haaland can make those passes. Haaland can make those passes. Look at it. Now, I'm a, De Bruyne is my favorite player in the Premier League. Right? I, I absolutely. I'm one of mine. Amazing, too, absolutely amazing mm-hmm. player. Um and. Um, but but it's clear that like you know there's a frustration with whatever the setup that's there with what's around them and and um, it's 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 not looking great for um, what Martinez, Henri, Anthony, Barry. You know it's like yes. um, it's it's this is a this is a sort of a, a dream team for Irish angles, but um, we're not going to be plucking them out. I don't think in the latter stages the way things are going. Doesn't look like it. I mean, the, the game last night then, Spain and Germany, obviously we had, we spoke last night about how, or yesterday about how the result of the early game between Japan and Costa Rica would impact on Spain and Germany. And look, Germany did play very, very well, I thought. It was, you know, you could be lulled in by Spain sometimes with some beautiful passing. And then I thought Germany kind of went toe-to-toe with them. And obviously it was a draw and it came out, you know, they're, they're now with a victory, more than likely going to go through uh, in in second place. But did you see did you see much of the the Spain Germany game? I, I way back yeah. from uh, from Croatia. And yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing: the psychology of that, as we said, we did mention it. The psychology of that opening result was crucial for Germany because a point was a good result, whereas the, another scenario, a point was a disastrous result. So, like, um, crucial. But yeah, no, I did. I um, I got back from. Uh, Croatia, Canada, which was my first time in the Khalifa International Stadium. Um, very different stadium to the other ones because it did exist before. Um, the World Athletics Championships were here in 2019, so it has the it's a multi-sport facility, so uh, it has the facility to have a big running track around the pitch. You know, you know, a stadium you go to where you can tell there's either a running track there or there's a the the shape is there to sort of manage a running track. So yeah. uh, it was almost like an old. Eastern European qualifier or something, the feel of the actual stadium. Very, very quirky enough. But anyway, yeah, I got the got the, the the media bus back to the main centre and was able to go into the famous Oasis Lounge. Um Oh you made bar. Oasis. Very good. I made I made the Oasis. Uh I didn't have a drink. Um I I would I mean this is a, a lot meta alcohol here, and listen, everyone can make the life choices they want. I mean, I I may not even live up to my own life choices like tomorrow. But I, I definitely thought, um, do I really need, for the sake of it, to have a 
what 14 euro can of Budweiser that much for the sake of it watching a match for 25 minutes I reckon I could just get by without it um but uh it was pretty full a lot of FIFA heads there a lot of media there um it's sort of outdoor people smoking drinking like this is this is the real Qatar you don't see you know um so uh I don't know big screen Matt Holland co-commentating and what else what else could you want you know in a in a venue but um did get to see Germany's comeback um, and got to see sort of, um, as you said, like a deserved a deserved result for them that puts them in a, in a completely different headspace. As you mentioned, like um, a win against Costa Rica should probably put them through unless Japan can suddenly shock Spain. Like I know they have a little bit of goal difference work to do, but it, you know you would think they should be capable. And the mad thing about it is if Morocco somehow end up uh, winning that group, then Germany would be playing Morocco in the round of 16. Their potential mm. quarterfinal would be against sort of, if Brazil were to win the group, they would be up against sort of the Brazil runners-up or the winners of the Ghana, Uruguay, Portugal group. So again, yeah. you know, not so like there's actually a route there for Germany like to the to the semi-finals. They could they could well be favourites for all of their games until they get to the semi-finals. Um, yeah. you know, through a particular way now. Again, that's jumping a little bit far down the road, um, but it's suddenly a better place for them to be in than uh, what we were talking about them potentially being eliminated 24 hours ago. Um, now they are very alive. Yeah, I think those games, particularly against like teams like Spain, who can, you know, death by a thousand cuts kind of thing, that if there is an issue with with morale in a, in a, in a squad, and it's always, you know... It's always tempting to overanalyze team morale and, and these kind of things. And you hear some sometimes you hear, you know, via say RTE if Didi Haman is on and he's saying things about, you know, media German media and pressure on the manager and all that. But if you go one nil down to Spain with half an hour to go in a game that you need a point out of, if things aren't right in a camp, it's very, very easy for that to go under, for that to become 2-0, 3-0. Yeah. You know, the late, the late red card to show that you care, and then they're effectively out of the tournament. And they reacted really, really well. I mean, Musiala was, was excellent. He should have scored. He had a great chance that he should have scored. And eventually, they, they did equalise. I mean, they, they could have had, they could have scored a couple, they could have scored a couple of three goals in in the game. I, I think that's going to give them a huge amount of confidence. Obviously, they, they got to, they got to, uh, finish that off but as you said like that side of the draw whoever comes through that side of the draw the the Moroccan group as we discussed Morocco Belgium Croatia none of them have been massively impressive so far so like anyone who they get they will definitely fancy their chances of of uh of getting past yeah no definitely like that that, that's definitely there for them I mean it's sort of a I mean it's a great story in a way like Fulkrug and Nicholas Fulkrug who's like what think he was playing in the German second division this time last year like it's very hard to be surprised in major tournaments now by the identity of players like okay sometimes you can get caught into the bubble I certainly can you know you're just following Irish stuff and Irish players in England and stuff you know slips by you uh, and I'm not going to lie you like we're not coming out of COVID so I'm not following the Bundesliga that closely um but uh it's very rare that you sort of have a you know, a, a player in a tournament who's what he's pushing thirty, and he's mm-hmm. such a sort of a late developer. It's like a sort of a Ricky Lambert style story or something, like mm-hmm. in the German context. Um, and he's what he's with Werder Bremen, and he's somehow like what in his third or fourth cap he's scored against Spain. He's yeah, a big number cap, nine. Think, yeah, 
you know, big number nine and you're sort of thinking, yeah, like, I mean, no matter what way you play, um, there's always room for a goal scorer number nine on any side, even if it's a, a very late developing one who may not be a massively prolific one, but he might just be what you need at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And um, good finish. You know, I mean, Sané at the end, they could have they could have nicked it, wouldn't they? Couldn't they? So yeah, um absolutely. No, yeah. I think they're 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 suddenly I mean Germany and Argentina, I mean and, and all the stuff that, you know, team who loses first who loses their first game, they never do anything afterwards unless they're world class like Spain. That may still be true. Maybe they're like expanding a lot of mental energy to get this far and it sort of catches up on them eventually. Um mm-hmm. but they're certainly um they're certainly in in position to to go pretty deep, definitely. Mm-hmm. So it's still only uh, Qatar and Canada who've gone out, but it looked today looks like being a, a day when a couple more could join them. So we might as much get into our predictions for today. We go start ten in the morning Irish time with Cameroon, Serbia. Roberto Lopez was strong on Cameroon. He thought they would he thought they would produce something they didn't in their first game. Uh, need to definitely get something out of the game against Serbia, which is going to be you know two teams who lost their first game. It could be one of the, those kind of Wales Iran type games where you know eventually someone has to go for it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and the thing about it, like you know, Pico spoke about them, but then Abubakar didn't actually start the game um, for Cameroon, which is a little bit of a surprise, I think. Um, I'm actually going to this game. Um, not really sure why I put it down when I did. I just, I just did. Um, Serbia, I suppose. You know, the the World Cup campaign did start um, against Ireland with Mark Travers having a bad day. That's where it all kicked off for them. Um, and what on paper it doesn't look like uh, you know a game that would sort of stir you, as you say. Like when you have two teams who've you know who who need a result, sometimes these can be great games. You know, there can be sort of huge drama around them. So, um, do I have a strong prediction for the game? Um, mm. You see, like, I'm, I'm struck by what what, um, what Pico said about Cameroon. I spoke about the early games. There can be sort of attrition love still if there's a little bit of heat. Um, and there's reasons to believe like Cameroon could get a result, but I just can't help but feel that Serbia will, will bounce back and win. I'm going to go for Serbia to win 2-1. Yeah, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Serbia. It's, I think it could be fiery as well. You know, these, these games where... Passions kind of run high in, in these kind of these kind of must win games. Um, after that, then we've got South Korea and Ghana, which, without uh, putting words in your mouth, I'd suspect, like me, even possibly less expertise in this one than the first one. Yeah, although I mean, I, I like I mean, I like Ghana, um, just because they always deliver a story in tournaments, um, and like even the I mean the the game against Portugal where. Uh, they could have got the result at the end when you know, like there's mm-hmm. always some madness involved in Ghana. Um, Chris Hewton, of course, is their uh, technical advisor, so he is involved there as well too. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like there was a, you know, there was a sort of a chaotic element to that first game in in a way. Um, I I don't know. Like South Korea is sun slightly inhibited. Um, you kind of wonder would that potentially be a, a concern. Um, Again, a game where both teams could do with a win, but might end up in a draw for me. So I'm going to say a one-all there. I'm going to go for 2-0 to Ghana. I'm not oh. 100% sure why, but I'm going to go for 2-0 to Ghana. It would be great if they're all still involved and Ghana playing Uruguay in the last game to go back to the 2010. 2010, Ghana oh yeah. We'll, 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 
we'll, we'll, we'll reflect on that. That's probably um, often I go to, I say often, I mean, maybe like once every two years, uh, I speak to like a journalism class and, uh, you know, you speak about examples of games you've covered and match reporting and Ghana Uruguay in 2010 is like, to me, the textbook example of uh deadline pressure we might we maybe we'll come, can we'll come back to that we'll come back to that whether it's uh, but that was, whether there's something riding on it or not i think yeah we could certainly do with hearing a little bit of, of what you say to uh say to future the, the future generation uh brazil and <laughs> go to the oasis uh don't drink in the oasis that's that's good advice thing. either in yeah. either in qatar don't, uh, don't do two games in one day don't do two games in one day if they're in if one of them is an Albate stadium. But like that's more niche advice that I'm gonna That's good advice for Carrick Macross and Qatar, I'd say. Um Brazil mm. and Switzerland. It's I'm gonna I think I'll go with uh, I might go for a draw on this one, I think. I think maybe one off Switzerland I think are oh. I'm not again, not fully sure why, but Brazil were very, very good for in the end part of that game of the of the first game against Serbia, I think Switzerland probably can pack the you know, pack the defence out more, try and frustrate them even a little bit more than Serbia. So I'm gonna go for one gonna go for one one in this. Okay. I am for all my bluster about not doing two games in one day, I am tempted. I possibly will put myself in the waiting list for this game in the morning and take my chances because there will be like a direct bus from the Cameroon Serbia game to the Brazil stadium, which it turns out is quite close to where I live. And the whole thing is, I mean, if you have the chance to attend a Brazil game that's maybe five metro stops away from you, Absolutely. why wouldn't you do it? Um so I'm going to throw my name into the lottery in the morning and see. Like it's it's hard. I know someone put themselves in for Spain Germany today, and they were told they had like a two percent chance, and it didn't work out for them. Um, but you know, I'm I'm going to give it a go. Um, Brazil. I don't know. Is Neymar being out a bad thing again? A little bit like Barstool analysis in a way, but is there something in it as well too? Um, in that they 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 played so well in those last few minutes, and maybe it's just infused them with a little bit of life or something. Um, Switzerland don't have the pressure that they need a result in this game. Um, like they still, again, how earlier games go might have some impact on them too. Like if they finished in a draw, they're in a very good position. But um, yeah, I go for Brazil to win two. And finally, Portugal and Uruguay could be a could be as I said earlier on could be a combustible clash. Suarez, Nunes, Pepe, you know you're put all those into the mix and then you'll have you know Ronaldo against possibly against Godin at the other end so it's uh certainly the you know, for me I'm going for I'm going for yeah. all I'm going for all I mean could could Uruguay have another one maybe but uh just have a feeling of a nil all feeling mm-hmm. around I'm this one. Go for one 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 all in this in, in this one I think uh it should be fairly maybe one all in red cards as well uh just to Pop that one into the mix. Yeah. Well, it depends. It depends if Pepe plays, though, isn't it? I mean, he didn't play in the last game, so that's the that's the slight uh, the slight niggle. Like, are you going to get the aggro that you necessarily anticipated? Not that it's obviously exclusive no. to him. And like, I think Suarez didn't look as most energetic either. But I mean, I see your point. Like, you know, we talk about the the big players delivering. I mean, you need a couple of the big villains to pop up as well too. So I mean, maybe. At least one of them will yeah they always say here. styles make fights so this could be a, a case a case of that thanks for that dan hopefully you get to the two games we'll be back tomorrow i'm aiden o'hara this is the indo world cup and catch us on youtube or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts mm-hmm.